is when um, as something is the way it was meant to be, the way it was created to be original intent. And that righteousness doesn't change. It's not a, it's not a pendulum. It, it, it's a plumb line. And we have the plumb line out there, the plumb bob, and just hung that down. And we share with you about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a, it's a straight, exactly what God's will is. There's no variance. There's no shadow of turning in God. When we hear that term righteousness that God says, there, there, there's no darkness in Him. There's no degree of change in Him. And so when we understand that, that that's who God is. And we talked about last week the, the isms of God, that God, the isness of God, that God is. He, he just is. And if we ever get that, that He is, He doesn't have, He is. Uh, anything God has, He has it completely. There's no lack in it. He, he is the, the only self-sufficient self. Okay, if we, if we could say that about God being a self. He, he is completely self-sufficient in Himself. He doesn't need or lack anything to be complete. And so uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the faithfulness of God. And, and, and in that God is faithfulness. He, he, he isn't faithful sometimes. He is faithfulness. And uh, so, so when we wrap ourselves around that, and then we talk about God is love. So he doesn't have love, he, just, he doesn't just love, or he doesn't fall in and out of love. You know, he's not a, he's not a love song. <laughs> he is love, and that's how we were created. We were created as the one that he could give his love to and share his love with, and then be invited to be a partaker of his love. So with that, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now just that verse, believing, that statement, believing in him, we're going to see that a little bit more tonight. But, but all of our salvation, all of our hope, everything that we have is in believing in the finished work of Christ. Amen? And this is just Jesus declaring about himself and that. That God has given his only begotten son, speaking to Nicodemus here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. How many know that? Isn't that cool? God didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And uh, we just really have to be careful. I have never, I mean, I don't think any of it. I, I really am concerned for our nation as a whole. Uh, we are being divided into so many little groups. And everybody's uh, clamoring to have their rights. We are a nation of little divided groups seeking our rights. And if, if you were running for an office or anything, it is impossible to make everybody happy. Hey, Ben, if you have two kids, it's impossible to keep both of them happy. It is. Add three, add four, and, uh, and, and shortly thereafter, insanity sets in. And then they just go through life just laughing. Amen. But it's it's so so the more you get, it's impossible to make everybody happy. 
And, and which is why that, that cannot be our goal. It can't be the goal. There, there has to be a standard, and, and that standard is truth. We talked about last night in righteousness, and, and that's what our forefathers tried to give us. What was a nation established on, on, on truth and, and, on, and on righteous values, moral values, and, and then people ha- had a place where we could live, and those values would be a protection for us. And of that, there were freedoms around that. But now today, we're just trying to, it's just amazing all the different things that are happening. Amen? And uh, so, uh, but then everybody, you know, if you say anything, but then, well, I'm saying because I talked about he didn't come in the world to condemn. But but in that, we have to be careful that we don't become an isolated little bubble of self-righteous people. That when our world is crazy, that we don't get too much of an attitude of self-righteousness. That as Christians, I believe we're so much better than the world. If it wasn't for Jesus in our life, if it wasn't for the blood, if it wasn't for Him, believe, whoever believes in Him, everything we have and all that we are is in Him. And last week, all our righteousness is this filthy rag. We didn't bring anything to the table. We brought sin, and He bore our sin. And, and if I could just go, there, 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 is no, there is no measuring stick for sin. Sin is sin. The smallest sin and the greatest sin, both will send you to hell if unrepented of. I mean, sin, not under the blood, not covered by the, the, the atoning of Christ, it is still going to condemn somebody to hell. So we have to be careful on how we view that. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Now, the world through Him. And we said it last week and the last couple of weeks that God has given it in the beginning when God created man. All of humanity, every person on the face of the earth is connected to the DNA of God. Humanity has God's DNA on the inside of us. And that's why that He took responsibility as our Heavenly Father, as the Father of humanity. He took responsibility for all of his children. And that's why when you go, no matter where you go around the world with our missionary, you, you, you can go to Haiti with it. You could go to Liberia with Elwood and Yada. You could go to different places. You can go to South Africa and all these other places where, where we have missionaries and friends around the world. And you go with Michael to Europe and you preach the gospel and people get saved. Because they're his children. And, and something in them identifies when they hear that they have a heavenly father who loved them and gave his son that they might be forgiven and be reconciled back to him. Amen? Amen. And so, that the world might be saved. Amen. Uh, verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Nobody likes the lights on when we're doing bad stuff. Like our kids. We're really not much different than our kids. Our kids go around the corner and get into stuff. We still kind of do that in our own adult lives, but we do it in a different way. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light 
that his deeds might be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Father, I thank you this evening that as we open your word, we ask you to come by your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Holy Spirit, bring the truth as only you can. Cause our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Look at the cover of your outline. I have some good news for you. There's been a death in the family. And you have been named as an heir in the will of your brother. You may not have known that you had a brother or that you were loved enough by him to be named as a beneficiary to all that is his. But you do. And he did. Amen. His last will and testament has been confirmed, certified, and declared fully legal and binding in the courtroom of heaven, and your inheritance has been released and is waiting for you to receive it. The only question is, how long will you wait to lay claim to all that is yours in Christ and His love for you? Amen. Amen. You have an inheritance in Christ. You are a joint heir with Him. Amen? Amen. And so, but... It helps us tonight. There's so many things in doing that. Uh, let me just uh, let, let me let me just kind of go back to this. Okay, if you got that letter and you got that announcement, okay, you've been named an heir, and this person has passed away, and now their will is in force, and you have a right to claim your inheritance. Well, you know, I just don't feel worthy. I, I need to clean my life up. I need to make some major changes in my life before I could really receive that. And, and we would just slap you until stupid left you. Amen? Because we, you, you, you you, we just wouldn't do that. How I many know what I'm saying? But for some reason, when we come to God and we have the declaration that we have this great inheritance in God, we don't think we're worthy to even receive our inheritance. So we think I have to change. I have to make all these changes to my life. I'd go, man. People say, "Are you going to take a shower?" I'm taking a shower. I'm getting dressed. I'm whatever. I got. I'm going to get down there and get it. Yeah. Amen. Why do you have to wait? What do you have to do? I, I'm, I would take a shower. I'm teasing. All right. But I'm just saying you, what you would go through. How many know what I'm talking about? But, but see, we go through all this stuff and we, we, we do things with God that we would never do in life. Or somebody did the things or thought the way, just about the way we interact in life, we just think that's crazy. But for some reason, we do all this stuff that we think is religious and holy and spiritual, and it's just leaving us in a place of bondage and lack. So we have to break out of that. So look inside your outline. Knowing all that was before Him... Jesus chose to be a self for others. Or in other words, how did you receive your inheritance in Him? See, knowing all that was before Christ, He chose to be a self for others and the sayer of yes to the wisdom of God in the earth for all of humanity, for all eternity. Everything we have in Christ flows out of His willingness to become the sayer of yes to God on our behalf. He laid his life down so we could live. Jesus came for one purpose. To say yes to God. 
in taking your sin and my sin upon us, in redeeming us. You and I have been blessed by yes. Jesus became the sayer of yes to God. In order to redeem humanity, there had to be a man qualified in the earth to say yes to God. Before time and space, as we studied these previous weeks, we put it out on the line, tried to show you, God in Himself, out of love, ordained a man to say yes to His will and to freely choose to say yes to God. Adam had the opportunity to be the one who would say yes. He could have said yes to the tree of life and no to the temptation of the devil. And in saying yes to God. And here's the other amazing thing that we think about. I'll just sidebar this just for a moment. But in that, there's a reason that God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and and stated there that if we don't remove them and they eat of the tree of life, they'll be lost for eternity. Okay. They will be eternally damned. I can't redeem them. So God had to separate us, man, from the tree of life until He could be redeemed. Okay. And the sin issue could be dealt with and then He could partake of life because He just would have eaten eternal and been a partaker of eternal damnation, which is literally what Genesis 3 said. So Adam had that opportunity to be the one who would say yes to God, but when the tempter came, he failed the test and said no. In choosing to say yes to God, get this tonight, Jesus became the one man who was worth all men. That's one of my favorite statements ever. When I heard Malcolm Smith say that, it just exploded on the inside of me. There's some things and statements I hear from time to time that just never leave me. That, that quote from Ian Bounds is one of my favorite quotes. Men are looking for better methods. God is just looking for better men. Mm-hmm. I, just, I mean, some of those things are just so true. They're just nuggets of truth. But Jesus became the one man who was worth all men. See, we are in Him. We find our value. We find everything we have in Christ. He is our worth. Amen? I love that. Praise the Lord. So, See, God could not destroy sin and dismiss Adam's choice as irrelevant. That would make a mockery of our free will. Do you understand that? A man brought sin into the race of humanity, and a man would have to remove it. Satan, sin, and death must be fairly defeated. If you can underline that, remember that. Well, why is this? Why is God doing everything He does? How come everything has to be done like that? Everything God does has to be righteous, and it has to be just. God is righteousness. He is righteousness. Amen? He is just. And so everything he does has to be righteous and it must be just. Okay. And so they had to be dealt with fairly or fairly defeated by a man making 
free choices. It has to be done that way. That's the way God set this thing up. He, he can't change it. Our choices cannot be viewed as irrelevant either. Adam's choice cannot just be sloughed off and say, oh, well, I'll give him another chance. It doesn't work that way. Amen. It, uh, you know, I, 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 I love, I don't want to be political here, but I, 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 I just give you the example. Here, here's the way we wish it would work. Hillary likes to say, oh, yeah, I did that as a mistake. I learned a lot. I, would ne- I will never do that again. And so that, that means if you just apologize, say I won't do anymore, then the consequences should go away. And that's the way most of us think. That's the way people think in relationships. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, everything is a seed that produces a harvest. That's why Galatians 6 said, and we, and we need to remember, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So how do we sow? We sow out of the free will of our choices. Amen. There, there, nobody will ever... People can make suggestions to you. Anybody can make suggestion, but nobody can make you do anything. I mean, people can force you. There, there are forced, you know, things that, that... But I'm talking primarily in our life. And the things that we deal with in living normal life. And I'm not talking about abusive areas like that. But in normal life, nobody's making you eat three scoops of ice cream instead of one. Okay, that was me, all right? <laughs> okay, no, nobody's making you watch the things you watch, buy the things you buy, a- advertisement asks you and, and, and suggests things to, suggestions come, but you make the choice. You and I, we sow the seed. And so when God says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, the choices that we make, the seeds that we sow, then we reap the harvest for that. And part of maturing and and coming into wisdom is, wait a minute, I don't really like the circumstances of my life. Well, then go back and look at how I'm sowing seeds. What kind of seeds am I sowing? And, And as I said, as we were taking the offering, your words are seeds. Many times, some, most of the stuff that's happened around us is the fruit of our lips. Proverbs, it, it, there's a reason these things are in the Bible. When the Bible says life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So if I'm confessing fear, if I'm confessing doubt, if I'm confessing lack, if I'm speaking these things all the time, if I'm speaking confusion, if I'm speaking things and thoughts and, and, and declaring anxiety or, my, or whatever it may be, whatever I'm speaking and declaring, wait a minute, that's what I said during the offer. Jesus says, give and it will be given. So there's times you need to make sure your speech agrees with his promise and his word. Are we doing all right? Yeah. And so, see, our choices cannot be viewed as irrelevant. They can be covered by the blood. So what God does for us, He can't cancel harvest, but He can grace us through it. that make sense to you? Uh, that, that's the only way I really know how to explain it. And so we, we do think, but we're, there's a consequence to that. Here's the other thing you have to understand. Please, please, please understand this. This is where the devil is so smart. You know the devil knows what this book says? The devil knows what God has declared, what his declared word is. And he uses the word of God against us. 
If he's the accuser of the brethren, he's not just coming up accusing you of being a bad person. He's accusing you according to the word. Especially when I say I'm a believer and I'm violating the word and I've sowed seeds that, that require a response from God. We're doing all right? Then he has a right to bring that into account. Because he knows, be not deceived, God not muck. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he can call that into accountability over our life. We, we, we don't think about that in the terms as we should, but we need to be mindful of that. How many would understand? So watch it. The dilemma is now that man must do what only God can do, and God must do what only a man can do, must do. It would only take one to be the covenant representative for all and secure a victory over sin, death, over Satan's sin, and death. Okay? It, it only takes one to be a representative for all. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Your covenant with God is in Christ. Jesus came as the one man who was worth all men and made a covenant with God with you, and he redeemed the seed of humanity. Jesus came as a representative of the seed of humanity, all of humanity. Okay? And in order. For the understanding of this to work, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to begin in verse 1, and says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together at battle and were there at Sukkoth, and which belongs to Judah, and camped between uh, Sukkoth and Eska and Ephes, Damanim, and uh, yeah. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in the battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits and a span and he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was armed with a coat of maul, and the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze, or about 125 pounds. Wow. The big dude. And he had a bronze, uh, and he had a bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelins uh, between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a, a shield bearer went before him, or 15 pounds, like a shot put. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Watch this. Choose a man for yourselves. Choose one man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we choose somebody to be your representative. I'm representing everybody else. So instead of all of us coming together, let's just have two men come together. Each man representing everybody else. Okay? And we will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
I mean, no, that's kind of like, wait a minute. You mean somebody else is going to go fight, and whether he, if he loses, I, I lose? How about that? And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of God this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was a son of, of, of that Ephraite of Benjamin, of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old and advanced years in the days of Saul. And so we know David becomes the man. And David meets Goliath, one man representing all of Israel, one man representing all of the Philistines, and they come together. And the victory of the one man, the nation entered into his victory of one man. That's the, see, 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 these, even amongst nations, this is covenant stuff that we don't think about today. And so you and I in Christ, when Jesus stood with Satan and Christ came together, it, they went mano y mano and Jesus won. And he went as our representative. So now we are completely victorious over the enemy in Christ. Amen. He was the one man who was worth all men. And he became our one representative. Okay. Wow. And if, if you go on back to that, even when later, a little later on, when Jonathan and David make covenant together, then it's always for, for me and for my seed. Not just, not just between you as me, as long as you and I are friends, but as long as either one of us have seed upon the earth, this is a binding agreement between us. You understand that? It, it doesn't pass. It goes from generation to generation to generation, which is why there's terms in the Bible where it says that God is a God who keeps covenant to a thousand generations. Amen? Amen? So he keeps his word. He is a faithful God, as we're going to talk about here in just a moment. So the dilemma is now that a man must do what only God can do, to say this again, and God must do what only a man must do, so it would take one to be the covenant representative for all and secure victory over Satan, sin, and death. I want you to hear tonight. You have a victory in Christ over Satan, over sin, and over death. Sin shall not reign in your bodies. Amen? So when we hear these stories, not, not, I mean not these stories, but when you hear those verses and those exhortations in the Bible that speak to us of our victory, our victory is sealed in Christ. And as surely as David cut off the head of Goliath, Jesus has cut off the head of the enemy. Amen. The devil is under our feet in Christ. But going back to this again, when the Bible says, give no place to the devil, I don't know why the Lord's having me hammer on this, but one of the greatest places we give place to the devil is through the words of our mouth. Amen. God is so important to people and just say, don't talk. See, I believe there's a reason when the nation of Israel came across Jericho, and for the first six days, they weren't allowed to say anything. They were supposed to march in silence. And then on the last day, they were allowed to shout when the trumpets blew. 
But they weren't allowed to march around going, well, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in the world. I don't understand why walking around the wall, man, here we are. Okay, one day, this has got to cool. Another day four, this is getting pretty old. And day five, oh my goodness. Who thought up this? Is this the best plan God can come up? You know people in there are just laughing at us. These walls are... You conquer a city by walking around. Hey, shut up. That's why God said, be quiet. And so we start talking. Here God has promised to give you the victory and you start talking yourself yourself out of how it's going to happen. Amen? So the key is to speak in agreement with the Word, not against the Word. Amen? Believe with what God says. Stay with God. So Jesus became the one man who was worth all men. As a man, he chose to be tempted to stay faithful and to say yes to God. In doing so, he became the last Adam and for man, as man, to deal with sin and Satan. This is why the Bible speaks in finished phrases and complete works. There's nothing left to be done for our redemption. Amen? Now hear this, it only took one man once for all men to complete it. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Inasmuch then... As the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Christ our Lord, shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him, who's that? The devil, who had the power of death, that is the devil, now look at verse 15, and release those who through fear of Death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me just kind of give you this. You live in a day and an age of too much information. Just a few years ago, we didn't know anything was going on. And so there was less fear. We have so much information today, we're afraid of everything. Amen. And we're, we're, and we're convinced it's in our backyard. It lives in our neighborhoods. It's around us. Afraid of everything. Because of too much wrong information. And you have to overload yourself with the Word to not be overcome by the world. Are you listening to me? So important. Amen. Now, let me just help you with this. If you were to die, what would happen? And the downside of that is, nothing. (laughs) Okay? The downside of dying is nothing. Okay? You say, I'm going to kill you. Thank you. You're going to give me a promotion. 
Amen. It's crazy. Look, everybody wants a rapture to get out of here, but we're afraid of dying. So you want out, but you want to go out and partay. Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So why would we fear death? Why give death a hold on you when Jesus destroyed it for you? Listen, listen to this verse again. He released those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The one man who is worth all men conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Ain't no grave. Amen. Come on. So be excited about life. Quit living in fear. Because the moment I get in, we, we, we dealt with it a few weeks ago, uh, and, or when we were dealing with faith back there, in, in this area of faith and fear work exactly alike. Faith has a voice, and fear has a voice. And they both produce by the seeds and the words that they speak. And fear just keeps sowing it, and it just, it's just, just disastrous. Amen. So that's why the Bible says, speak the word of faith. What's it? That the word is nigh you even in your mouth. That's a fear. I speak every day. No, the word of faith, which we speak. Amen. The word of faith, which we speak. Amen. So look, it only took one man once and for all to complete it for us, destroying it. Now listen, all you have to do is choose to say yes to God and to his love for you. Choose to say yes to God. Amen? So, now, we all have the faith to change our world. Everybody, you have enough faith to change your world. Hopefully tonight we'll debunk a few myths around faith for we the next few moments here. We have a faith that works by love. Our knowledge of His covenant, made out of His love for us, releases our faith and trust in Him for all things. Now we know... That his will is centered in his love and enforced by the power of his word. I've, I've tried to share that with, talked about love. God's will is centered in his love. And he loves us. He loved us. He loved you as much as he's ever going to love you before you ever born and did anything. Okay? Your actions don't change his love. Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that I don't have to repent. It doesn't mean that I don't have to change. It just means that my conduct doesn't change how much He loves me. Are you with me? All right. So since we're God's people and the object of His love, we can therefore be a people of what? God, He loves us. I can have faith in God because I know that he loved me. He loved me when I was the worst of my worst. And he loves me when I'm the best of my best. His love doesn't change. It's not, it doesn't have degrees. It is just his love. He has set his love upon you. Amen. 
Okay? And when I realize that, then I, it ignites my faith towards God. Especially when I know that He loved me when I was at my worst. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So because of this, we can be a people of faith. Look, at we are saved by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We fight the fight of faith. We speak the word of faith. We pray the prayer of faith. We overcome the world by faith. We hold up the shield of faith. So what? Never lose your faith by questioning his love for you. I've had people, I literally have been, I just, I just don't feel like God loves me. It has nothing to do with feeling anything. Amen. Hallelujah. There's times I can't feel my feet, but they're still attached. Hey man, I mean, we just, but, but see, that's the whole thing. Oh, we're just not feeling. I just don't feel. Oh, you, 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 you said that. That made me feel so bad. Grow up. We are, we are a nation of babies. We become a society of just little emotional brats. Throwing temper tantrums all over the place. I can't believe it. And, and then even in the church, if you preach real straight, people get their feelings hurt in church. Amen. Well, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm a professional feeling herder. Amen. Hallelujah. I got a kick out of Dwayne. He sent me a text after Sunday. And he said, Pastor, thanks for being my pastor, not my friend. Amen. So watch this. Never forget your faith by forgetting His Word to you. Listen, if I'm speaking fear, doubt, and unbelief, I'm not focusing on the Word. I'm not speaking. You can't do that and be focused on the Word. If you're focused on the Word, you get convicted about what's coming out of your mouth. Doing all right? All right. So, I'm going to finish with this tonight in these few moments. Watch this. Faith in God will change your world. So how do we have faith in God? We, we've heard so much. I've preached on faith for almost 30 years. Over 30 years. Been doing this now for 35 years this year. Wow. And, that. and so on faith, how to have faith, do this in faith. But there's something about faith that we miss a lot of times. See, faith in God will change your world. But our faith in God is based on the faithfulness of God. Okay? God is what? Faithful. God is love. God is righteous. And God is faithful. So your faith and my faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God and who He is. Faithfulness, it really is made up of family of words that means to be constant. God is faithful. He is the same. Okay? Um, <clears throat> last night at the, at the home group, Steve, Steve brought up the, the area of uh, uh, that, that let us run with patience the race, Hebrews 12. Let, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The word patience there in the Greek is hupomene. It, it means stead 
steadfast endurance. It means consistency. God is always constant. He is consistent. He does not change. Amen. That, and, and you need to make that your goal. People will tell me, that, you know, and, and every now and then over the years, and, and I used to keep some, I don't keep many more than that, but people say, Pastor, thank you for not changing. Thank you for being consistent. And so thank you for doing this. And I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> Sooner or later, I'll get around to you. Amen. So watch it. So faithfulness in this area, it means to be constant, to be the same. Now, if you understand this, there, there are other words that make sense. In Bible school, I shared a little bit. And when you do some work, we're doing how to study your Bible. And so Sunday night, I was sharing with them in this. And when you do some of the backstory, when you do some word stories, when you do some in-depth Bible study, then there's some, you find out some things that make some, some just a lot of other scriptures come to life. Oh, now I know what that means. And so I was sharing with them Sunday night uh, in, in school about what it means to become a rabbi and, and how children grow up and, 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 and every young boy grows up going to synagogue and striving and, and, and with the goal of trying to become a rabbi. And, and then if you don't make the standard of being a, become a rabbi, you're told to go home. By, by, by the third phase there, you're told to go home and work in the family business and pray that your sons become rabbis. Okay? And so then, if you're there working by the field, so then, and, and the way you become a rabbi is that, is that you first have to be a disciple of a rabbi. And so, as you're a young child growing up, and you're going through the schooling process, and you get to the degree, then the, those who are rabbi, they start looking at these young men, and they go, and they come up, and they ask you. You have to be asked to be a disciple of a rabbi. And so the rabbi says, come and be my disciple. Come and follow after me and I will teach you the law of the Lord, how to walk before God and how to be a teacher of the law. Come and walk with me. Okay? And so you're invited. And so then here comes Jesus walking by the shore as a rabbi asking men who have been sent home to learn the family business, to come and follow him. Right. Going, what, you, what do you mean a rabbi is asking me to be his disciple? And so they forsake everything to follow him. Yep. And they go, oh, that makes more. Because you think, oh, you just walk by and randomly pick people and, and that they just had this amazing abandoned response. But when you understand the culture and you understand what's being offered to them and, and what it meant, the significance of being asked to be a disciple by a rabbi, they're in. Just go, oh, now I get it. So I'm saying is when you go back and you study some of these phrases like faithfulness and you get some understanding of what that means. One of the words to, to faithfulness is amen. Or it means so it is. God is amen. It is. He's faithful. It is trustful. 
He is sure and He is true. See, God never changes. He's always the same. And so now when we understand that God is faithful, we understand why Paul wrote and said, Jesus Christ, what? The same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful. He is the same. He is changeless. He is constant. He is consistent. He has always been. He always will be. So I can have faith in His faithfulness. Wow. Our faith becomes unshakable when it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Nothing else. Nothing else but that God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, get this. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. Do what? It. Everything that he's declared and spoken concerning you and your redemption and your reconciliation and your life and his promise. He is faithful. Amen. Man, how's he going to do it? Could we just... See, we we have a nursery room. Actually, that's a cry room. Amen. We should allow adults to go in there because adults do a lot of crying. Amen. Amen. I have to be careful what I'm saying here. I'm wise. So think about that. Listen to what God says. Watch what. God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God who is the same with Abraham, who is the same with Isaac, and who is the same with Jacob. I'm the same. I'm not a different God to Abraham and a different God to Isaac. and a different. I'm the same. Are you with me? And he is the same God to you. He is the God of Abraham, and he is the God of Bill. He put your name in there. I'm the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Michael. I'm the same. I'm not a different God to anybody else. I am a faithful God, and I am the same. And when we understand that, we go, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not trying to work something up. I just believe that God is who He has declared He is. And my faith just releases me. I mean, all the weights, all the burdens, all the anxiety. Wait a minute. This isn't a performance issue, this is a declaration issue. My faith is not about me performing to be accepted by God. It's about me believing that He has already declared the performance of His Word in my life. Hallelujah. The God who is always the same to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to you dwells on the inside of you. All that He has, all that He was to Abraham... He was to Isaac and to Jacob. He is always the same. Our problem is things change around us. And circumstances, we allow outside things to affect us inwardly. 
Nothing outside of God moves him. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He says, all this stuff has happened around me. Da, da, da. He said, none of these things move me. Nothing, none of this moves me. Amen. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus preaching in the synagogue. And we shared it uh, uh, for communion. And he's like, all right, hey guys, uh, this is my body. This is my blood, <laughs> you know, and we're doing this and, and that. And, and, and then uh, uh, people go, man, that's too good. I'm out of here. He goes, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the multitude leaves him. Mm-hmm. And he just looks at the disciples. You guys going to leave me too? He's not moved. He just says, I'm still going on. Right. I didn't even know. Are you with me? Are you still with me? Right. You, just, you, don't, you don't get moved. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because he knows that his father is faithful. It's not based upon what people are doing. It's not based upon circumstances or the wind or the waves or anything. How how do you walk upon the water? How how do you calm the sea? How how do you deal with storms? Because you know you're abiding in the one who is faithful. Jesus says, if you abide in me, I'm, I'm abiding in, I am in the faithful one. I am in the unchangeable one. I am in, he, in the one who cannot fail. God cannot fail and you are abiding in him. That's right. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Amen. So what? Now? God is faithful to Himself and to us. He is faithfulness. Nothing outside of Him can change Him. When we establish our faith on the unchanging faithfulness of God, we will never doubt again. Okay. So, the only thing I have to do is get my eyes off of circumstances and situations and keep my eyes focused on the faithfulness of God. Which is why Jude says, You beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself focused. Keep yourself, keep your attention on the love of God. You just keep looking at the love of God. Pray in the Holy Ghost and keep yourself focused on the love of God. Amen? So we must come to the place in our understanding that God is infinitely reliable. And he can be counted upon to be faithful at all times. Amen? I put this scripture in there about God being the faithful. Look, Hebrew, even Hebrews 10, 13. That, that God, there is no temptation that has taken you such as common to man. But God is faithful. And that he will not let you be overcome by it. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. God is faithful. So even when I'm under a burden, I look back and go, God, you are faithful. You always have a way out. Amen? So I encourage you to read those. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful. Faithful. And just to to what? Forgive us. And uh, See, he is faithful because he's declared that he would in his word. He's faithful to his word. Yeah. It's a faithful God. 
Now listen, in a sense, all sin is rooted in some form of unbelief. And in my insertion of this, it's in this area. Unbelief in the faithfulness of God. See, there's people who don't believe that God will be faithful to judge. So therefore, they can live any way they want because they don't believe in the faithfulness of His justice and His judgment. So different, And it's connected to doubting the faithfulness of God. As we study covenant, we study God swearing to be faithful to Himself concerning His word to us. Without a proper understanding of covenant and the faithfulness of God, we tend to believe that our salvation is based upon our faithfulness to God. Your salvation is not based upon your faithfulness to God. It's not based upon you being faithful. You were saved before you said, I believe. Jesus died to take away the sin. Your sin was dealt with before you ever believed. Are you with me? When I believe my salvation is based upon His faithfulness to His Word in covenant concerning our redemption. Far too many Christians spend their lives trying to have enough faith to be saved. We spend our lives trying to increase our faith, strengthen our faith, renew our faith, thinking that if we had more faith, God would be more faithful. God's faithfulness is not based upon our faith. Our faith is based upon His faithfulness. His faithfulness to Himself in the covenant He made in Himself concerning us before time began. God declared His faithfulness to you before our creation before time began. He is faithful to His everlasting Word. Amen? And so when I get that, I just go, God, it, 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 listen guys, it's such a release. Now, the discipline and the devotion for me to keep my faith centered on the faithfulness of God, to not be pulled off, to not get into works and, and things of trying of righteousness and justification, but to rest. Listen, that's why Hebrews says that we have entered into His rest. See, it's a finished thing. God, it's the Bible, that's what I said earlier, God talked about completed works, finished works. When you get this, your faith allows you to enter into a rest. If God's faithfulness was dependent upon our faith and our ability to trust Him, He would be dependent upon us and in need of us. But He is the only self-sufficient one. And, and, and that's kind of the, the especially in, in some of our circles and stuff, we get in there and we just, man, I need to do this in order to forget God. God has already moved. I don't know if I can... And if I can just say, God, I trust and rest in your faithfulness. You are. See, look at that. That's why it says that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God, for he counted him faithful who promised. 
Abraham put his faith in the faithfulness of God. He, wasn't he, he refused to consider his body the deadness of Sarah's wombs. He just considered the faithfulness of God. Are you with me? So when you're battling things, when you're struggling in areas, don't get caught up with it. Just go back and remember the faithfulness of God. Just think about that. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. He's called you to be with him for all of your, Whatever it takes to get you to him, he's made that happen. He did a completed work for that. And everything that goes with it. Are, are you getting this tonight? So the object of our faith cannot be our faith. Faith in our faith won't help us. Amen? It must be in the faithfulness of God and his word. Father, I thank you tonight. Lord, I pray as we come to the end of this study in your word. Lord, I